Welcome to the Gregory Digout Podcast. But I really want to get into this teaching on stop feeling bad, stop feeling bad or how to stop feeling bad, how to stop feeling bad. And the key scripture that I want to share with you is, again, in First Timothy, Chapter six, verse 17, where the Bible says, instruct those that are rich. Paul, the apostle, is writing to Timothy, who's the elder. Timothy is some believed study. Some of the history shows that Timothy was the pastor of the church at Ephesus, and there were upwards of around 40,000 believers in the church of Ephesus. And sorry if that fly hits you, because I just whacked it off my podium. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So um, that's how we do it in Chicago. We whack them. (laughs) In Chicago. Paul says to Timothy, he says, Timothy, I want you. this This is what you need to instruct to the to the rich, instruct those that are rich in this present world not to be conceited. He doesn't tell them not to be rich. He says, teach them not to be arrogant, which means what? To not put their trust in the uncertainty of riches. How many know the Bible says he who trusts in the Lord shall be blessed. Our trust needs to be in God. The Bible says the Bible says in Psalm 91, he who dwells in the secret place of the most high shall abide under the shadow of the almighty whose power no foe can withstand. For I will say of the Lord, he is my fortress. He is my refuge. He is my God. In him will I trust in him. Will I trust in him? Will I trust? And he says to Timothy to instruct those that are rich not to put their trust in the uncertainty of riches, but to fix their hope on God, who richly supplies us with all things to what? He richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Now, if we would get a hold of this gang, if we could get a hold of the fact that every good thing in life was God's idea, every good thing in life was God's idea and every good thing in life is enough so that you will lose your appetite for the bad things in life. There is enough good that God has created that you don't have to go after the bad to substitute for the good, because there is enough good to go around for everybody. There are enough trees in the in the Garden of Eden for everybody to eat. There's enough blessing. There's enough provision. There's enough money. There's enough time. There's enough of God. There's enough of all things because God created everything richly everything that there is in this world. Now, you think about it. Do you know that that actually when we take certain things out of this earth, when we mine out certain oils and certain stones, there are some of the things that we mine out of the earth that re uh, that they recreate themselves. They that there's and some some of this you have to do your own study on this. But there are some things that seem to be regenerating themselves. Why? How is that possible? You ask a a geologist, they won't they will be able to tell you what happens. They just won't be able to tell you why it happens. We know why it happens, because God provides always provides enough and you will never run out. We're never going to run out of air. We're never going to run out of water. I get it. There are droughts at times and there are. But guess what? There's never a drought everywhere and there's always water somewhere. 
And it's meant at those times for the people that have it to share it with the people that don't. But there is never a time where we're going to run out of of anything in this earth because there is plenty to go around. This earth has been now I'm not saying that we shouldn't be responsible. I'm not saying don't use your recycle can, whichever one that is. I can't tell the difference. They both look the same to me. But what I'm saying is God is a God of abundance. It says he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. It says God is the author of all the silver and all the gold. He says the silver is mine and the gold is mine and I own the cattle on a thousand hills. God is the creator of everything that is good and we have to learn to be stewards of everything that is good. But listen to what he says. God richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. He doesn't just richly supply us with all things to survive. He supplies us with all things to enjoy. If you just have enough laughter to survive, God wants you to have more laughter to enjoy. If you just have enough food to survive, God wants you to have enough to enjoy. If you just have enough water to survive, God wants you to have enough to enjoy. If you just have a a, a family member or a friend, enough friends to survive, God wants you to have enough friends to enjoy. If you're down to your last minute all the time and you just have one more minute to get your stuff done, God wants you to have plenty of more minutes to enjoy. And then he says, and be ready to share, be ready to share, to be rich in good works, to be generous. Verse 18 says, and be ready to share. First Timothy, chapter six, verse 18 tells us. So, my God, we have bought into a religion of misery and Christians have lost their joy and Christians have lost their pep in their step and Christians are getting accustomed to suffering when Jesus did the suffering for us. The suffering we're called to do is resisting the devil. The word suffering is a form of resistance. We suffer like if you if you work out when you're lifting weights, you're suffering. Why? What does that mean? It means you're resisting the weights. You're resisting the weight so that you can get stronger. We're resisting. We're resisting the devil. We're resisting the things that are against us. We're resisting fear. We're resisting worry. We're resisting. This is the suffering that God's called us to do in this life and to do what's good. And if people hate us for doing what's good, so be it. Let them hate us for doing what's good. But that's that's the kind of suffering. But you're not you're not called to suffer with poverty, to suffer with with sickness and disease. You're not meant. God doesn't mean for us to suffer in those ways. Jesus took that suffering. Look at what it says in Isaiah 53, verse three in Isaiah 53. Let me start there in verse three with this passage. And let's read in verse three, talking about Jesus. He was despised and forsaken of men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and like one from whom men hide their face. It says he was despised and we did not esteem him. And then he goes on in verse four and says, surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he himself carried. And we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and forsaken. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. Woo! 
Put that up in the uh, New King James Version. Verse four, verse five. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was wounded and bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace fell upon him. This is the exchange. And by his stripes, we are healed. Go back there to verse the beginning of verse five and look what he says, the exchange. He was wounded for our transgressions so that we could be forgiven. He was bruised for our iniquities so that we could be healed. He was chastised for our peace so we could have peace. And by his stripes, we were healed by his stripes. We are healed. He was wounded so that we could be healed. He was uh, abused so that we could be delivered. I want to talk about abuse for a moment. I mentioned it last week, but I need you to hear something about this, that the Lord made sure to me, at least that he said, you got to go over this some more, son. People need this. So I'm just going to do what the Lord's put in my heart. It may not come out and sound like fancy preaching, but it's going to come out and land on the people that need it the most to be healed. And we need to become healers to the hurting and to the to the broken and to the abused and to the suffering, because guilt and shame are what's making Christians live miserable lives. Guilt and shame. We feel bad because we don't do enough for people. We feel bad at enjoying things. We feel bad when we're enjoying things. We feel bad when we're not praying enough. We feel bad when we're not doing enough and we're not. And God doesn't want us to be feeling bad ever. There's no reason to feel bad. God is a good God and he wants us to feel him. In fact, it says in Psalm chapter 34, verse eight, look at what he says here. Psalm 34, verse eight. David says, taste and see, taste and see that the Lord is good. He mentions two of the five senses here. So we have five physical senses. We have the sense of sight, uh, sense of sound, smell. So sight, hearing, smell, taste and touch. These are the five physical senses, different words apply to them. You don't understand. Those are the five physical senses. But God has also given us the sixth sense, the sixth sense called faith. What that means is you think about having six senses rather than five, because when you when you when you think of the five physical senses that we have, what do we normally do? No one would smell with their ears. Come on now. You don't smell with your ears. You don't listen with your eyes and you don't believe based on what you see. Faith is a different sense. It's a sixth sense. So we don't use one to for for the need of the other. You have a sense of hearing so you can hear. You have a sense of seeing so you can see. You have a sense of touch so you can feel. You have a sense of smell so you can smell. You have a sense of taste so you can taste. And you have a sense of faith so you can believe. We walk by faith and not by sight. But he mentions our senses here, taste and see, because he wants us to know that even though we walk by faith, All of our senses are supposed to experience God and experience good and experience pleasure. Pleasure was God's idea. Psalm 1611 says. In his presence is fullness of joy. In his presence is fullness of joy. And at his right hand, there are pleasures forever. 
in his presence, his fullness of joy. So joy is God's idea. Everybody admits that, right? Oh, joy is God's idea. God believes in joy. God, you know, God created joy. Well, he also created pleasure because at his right hand are pleasures. The right hand is the is the, the right hand is the is the symbol of God's blessing. It's the symbol of God's of God's gifts. It's the symbol of God's outstretched arm to save and his outstretched hand to heal and his outstretched arm to bless and to fill you with every good thing. And so pleasure is God's idea. It's at his own right hand. He's constantly dispensing and distributing pleasure to his people. Now, let me explain something to you, because so many Christians live in shame and they live in guilt and they feel bad about their lives and we need to stop feeling bad. And when you stop feeling bad about pleasure, I'm not saying that we live for pleasure, but we do live with it. And it is God's gift to mankind. In fact, in fact, don't shout me down here, but I'm about to say something. I'm about to say something. Okay, I'm about to say something. You owe your existence to two people having pleasure. Hey. If pleasure is bad, you're bad because you're the fruit of pleasure. Nobody's like, well, let's go to work and have a kid. All right, let's work again. Let's get another one. Every one of us owe our existence to two people having pleasure. And so I want you to hear what I'm saying, but I'm not ignoring that sometimes we have to make sacrifices and sometimes we we have to go through tough times. But God wants us to have joy in the midst of it. Count it all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Can you say amen, somebody? So where am I going with this? Where I'm where I'm going with this is is the secret, uh, the secret sin of that we that we kind of we don't we try to pretend it's not a topic, but yet it's the topic of everything. It's what's being sold. It's what how things are sold. And it's sexual. And it's all like we're completely we're all sexual beings. We all have uh, sexuality to us. We're all capable of sexual experience. And we're all we're all made by that. And we're made with that. Mm. Is anybody with me here today? Where is he going next? I got to tune in. <laughs> Where I'm going with this is this is that so often people there, they, they have guilt and shame about sexuality because guilt and shame are the byproducts of abuse. They are not the byproducts of sex. They're the byproducts. There's nothing shameful about sex. There's nothing shameful about sexuality. But why people feel shame and guilt about it and people go to therapists about it and people go through all sorts of anxiety about it and people are trying to get it 
and others are trying to stop it and some are trying to enjoy it and some are just going through the motions of it. And there's so much emotional damage that has gone into our lives and it affects every area of our life. It's why we abuse things because we have been abused. It's why we might fall into the abuse of alcohol or the abuse of drugs or sexual abuse or abusing people. Because here's the thing, because when some when doing something good feels bad, it's a symptom of of abuse. When when doing something good feels bad, it's a symptom of abuse because like eating something sweet and you feel so bad, it's because you've abused the concept of food. You have a wrong concept of food. Food is not your enemy. Carbs are not your enemy. Our bodies need carbohydrates. Our bodies need sugar. Now, we don't need an overdose of it. Right. But our bodies are wired for pleasure. Our bodies have sexual needs. Our bodies have biological needs. Our bodies have have um, needs, appetite needs. Our bodies need comfort. Our bodies need companionship. Our bodies need friends. Our bodies need a hug. Our bodies need touches. But when there's abuse to any of those things, it twists a human being, it twists a child's sense of pleasure. And now they associate pleasure with with abuse and they associate pleasure with pain and they associate pleasure with um, with, with with they can't. They, they can't experience the normal impulses of enjoyment and delight because it's been a broke. It's been broken through abuse. Are, are you hearing me? Because as children, we look up to our parents, we look up to our elders, we look up to the, the, the caregivers that were it was their responsibility. We, to, we looked up to them to reveal to us who we are. We looked to them to reveal to us who we are, to affirm us. We need someone in charge of us to love us and nurture us as children, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. But when abuse happens to a child, which, by the way, happens to one out of every three or four women and one out of every five to six men, just sexual abuse, let alone doesn't count verbal abuse. It doesn't count emotional abuse. There is so much abuse going on in our world today. We have we have normalized abuse. We have normalized it. And God and Jesus took it all on the cross so we can be healed from it. When abuse happens to a child, their normal impulse of pleasure is becomes damaged and it becomes broken. And all of a sudden they associate pleasure with danger. So they won't let themselves enjoy anything, not 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 just sex. It shows up in the in the inability to enjoy life. You know, one of the one of my friends and fellow preachers, Joyce Meyer, she tells very openly her story of being abused as a child. Her whole life now is dedicated to enjoying everyday life. I think that's the name of her TV show. But she came from abuse and she did not know how to enjoy life and she had to relearn how to enjoy life and what she's teaching is what she's had to teach herself and raise herself and reparent herself through to get to the place of healing, um, because, you know, an abused person, a hurt person, they can't enjoy life because they feel guilty 
oh, man, I wish I had more time to get into this for you, because because we're either dealing with abuse in our own lives, we're giving abuse from our lives without knowing it, or we are married to somebody or or our parents were abused or or or, or our or our relation, our closest relationship. There's somebody that's been abused and we need to be able to be healers and encourage people to get healed of this stuff and talk about it. So what happens is this uh, this this association between pleasure and danger. So kids won't let themselves as they get older, enjoy anything and they fall into a default DNA, their default DNA, where their DNA always goes is to this damaged condition that pleasure means pain. Pleasure means abuse. And it's not the child's fault. It was the caregivers and it was the parents responsibility for the safety, the physical, mental, emotional safety of the child. But what happens is it leaves a child at war with inside of himself. There's a war going on inside of the child between the the need to enjoy life and yet the pain that is associated with pleasure in that child's life. So they can't tell the difference. And it's very traumatic. And that's what causes so much counterfeit affection and counterfeit love and counterfeit addiction and codependency and food addictions and sexual addictions and drug addictions and alcohol addictions. All these things are the overflow of an abused child trying to fix what's broken. All an addiction is. Is a broken soul's attempt to fix itself. That's all that an addiction is. And you need to understand. So when somebody's addicted, you're not better than them. They're just trying to heal them. Oh, they're a sinner. Like I used to think I was such a sinner for being a drug addict and an alcoholic. By the time I was 16 years old, I thought this is so bad. I got to repent of this. And God showed me that wasn't the sin that I saved you from. Those were just those were just fruits of having a life empty without Jesus, without his love, without knowing the affection, without having been healed, without his touch in my life. All those things were my effort to find those things in something else. So we got to start looking at addiction and look at emotional, mental illness differently rather than all that person's crazy. Yeah, so are you. If we followed you around for 48 hours, we'd see all your weird weirdness showing up. Every bad thing in this world, every bit of hurt and pain caused in this world is the abuse, religious abuse, which causes dark religions to emerge and control people and be filled with hate and be and think that God rewards hurting other people, murdering other people, killing. That's abuse of religion. It's abusive religion or the bondage that some of us grew up in. Catholicism and different religions where there's so much. And listen, this goes to every religion, every denomination. There's abuse. But there's but when you force a man and this is just my opinion, but there are many priests that might be watching that don't that have a different opinion. But I don't believe a person should be forced to be a a virgin the rest of their life. I think if that's your choice, you, you, you you should do that if that's your choice. But if you if if it's thrust upon you because of your religion, and your need to devote yourself fully to God. You can be fully devoted to God and still have sex. You better be happy. You got you got the right pastor today. 
you say, well, what about sexual sin and all the sexual sin in the world? See, that's the fruit of the problem, not the root of the problem. The root of the problem is a wrong relationship with yourself and an absence of relationship with God and an absence of enjoying God and enjoying what God gives you. And it's the result of abuse, abusive upbringings that left you damaged and you haven't you haven't healed fully from it and people haven't healed fully from it. So God wants the healing to catch up so that eventually the fruit will change when the root is changed. The Bible says when the root is holy, all the branches will be holy. So we need to deal with things at the root level, not the fruit level. So you can you can you can whine about me. You can have friends that say, oh, that pastor, he's too loose with his with his preaching. You can you can say that all you want, but you're here. So it must be working. It's not being loose. It's understanding that if we don't get to the root of the problem, all we're going to do is be plucking bad fruit off of people's lives. But the bad fruit is going to keep being regenerated because of the bad root of abuse and pain and rejection and feeling alienated. And that's why the number one characteristic of God is love, because love at the root meets the need. The greatest need of life is love. The greatest, deepest need is not food, it's love. All the abuses of food and addictions and sex and alcohol and all the addictions are the are rooted in an absence of love. That's why the Bible says in Ephesians three, being rooted in love, knowing the love of God, understanding the depths of his love, the height, the breadth, the length, the depth of his love, because it, it's the root of it. It heals everything. And all of a sudden things start coming back up with good fruit and with health and with wellness. And now you're a normal person and now you can take a joke and now you can you're not bitter every time somebody says something that may offend you. And, and now you're not just now you're not out of that damage trying to substitute the pain for some sort of pleasure to cover up the pain or you can't feel pleasure because of the pain. And God wants all that healed. God wants to heal all that. That's my assignment in the body of Christ to heal at the root level. So if I don't say stop doing this, stop doing this, don't say, well, I'm unholy. It's because I'm dealing at the root level. I'm not going to mess around at the fruit level because the fruit level is going to take care of itself if you deal with the root level. Okay. So let me tell you something. Abuse causes a belief system of fear. Abuse causes a belief system of the inability to trust and the inability to have intimacy. True intimacy. You could have sex, but not have intimacy. It's because you're listening to the voice of abuse talking. It's not the voice of your inner child. It's the voice of your wounded, damaged inner self. But Jesus took it all on the cross. We read that in Isaiah 53. God has dealt with every evil at the cross, the evil that was done to you. It was wrong. But Jesus is Jesus has suffered for you so that you can trust him now and you can let him heal you. He's your father. And he wants to reparent you. And he wants to heal you so you stop feeling bad about good things. You know, if we really get a hold of the fact that life is meant to be a celebration, 
then we'll we'll ask ourselves the question, why am I unhappy? And then we'll be willing to be vulnerable enough to answer the question. Why am I unhappy? You got to be vulnerable enough to answer the question. Why am I unhappy? First of all, you have to be vulnerable enough to admit I am unhappy. And then why am I unhappy? Because single people think they're unhappy because they're not married. Then they get married and they become people that are unhappy because they're married. I saw somebody share some crazy post. It had like a close up of a fork and their spouse was behind the fork. And they said, I look at my spouse through the through the through this fork and it makes me feel like they're imprisoned and it heals me. (laughs) That's now that's twisted. (laughs) And it looked like, yeah, it looked like prison bars. The, The fork looked like prison bars. I got to get through this because we haven't even received the offering yet. All right. Um, I want you to start enjoying the following things. I want you to give yourself permission to enjoy the following things. Are you ready? I'll give them to you real fast. Number one, and I'm going to I'm going to give you a scripture to, for most of them. Number one, we need to enjoy, learn to we need to start today, give ourselves permission to enjoy our relationship with God. You need to enjoy your relationship with God starting today. How can you enjoy your relationship with God? This is how by not making your relationship with God about your faithfulness, but make your relationship with God about his faithfulness. If you will make your relationship with God about how faithful he is, uh, second Timothy chapter uh, second Timothy chapter two, verse 13 says, even when we're faithless, he remains faithful. So what we need to do is how can you start enjoying? How can today how could you today start enjoying your relationship with God by basing it on his faithfulness, not your faithfulness? The, The sooner you base your relationship with God, on the promises he makes to you and stop basing it on the promises you make to him. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to be more faithful. I'm going to do more. Lord, I'm going to do this. I'm going to pledge this. I'm going to give this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to say this. I'm going to stop it. That is making you miserable. That's what causes us to do perverted things when we when we don't enjoy the good things, we end up substituting our need for pleasure with bad things. And somehow Christians have associated Pleasure is sinful. No, there are some there. No, some sin is pleasurable for a season, but all pleasure is not sinful. Some sin is pleasurable for a season, but but not all pleasure is sinful. And we need to zero in on the things that we're supposed to enjoy. Enjoy your relationship with God. I just told you how. Stop making it about your faithfulness and start making it about his faithfulness and you'll start enjoying your relationship with God. Number two, you got to enjoy yourself, enjoy yourself. What do I mean by that? Uh, By not here's how here's how you can enjoy yourself starting today. You can enjoy yourself by stop when you stop making your life about finding a mate, mate. (laughs) You got to stop making your life about finding a mate, matey. You. Listen, 
Jerry Maguire is a myth. <laughs> the scene in Jerry Maguire when he says, you, you, you complete me. You complete me. Like only Tom Cruise can get away with it, and it still was weird. <laughs> can you imagine Daniel Craig 007? You complete me. Not going to happen. 007 doesn't need anybody to complete him. He's got double for his trouble. All right, listen. It's a myth. Oh, marriage will complete me. If if you're married, you know it's a myth. You bring into your marriage you. And if you enjoy you without marriage, you will bring enjoyment into your marriage. That's the reality of it. You have to start enjoying you, enjoying like God says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will never let you down. You have to learn how to be alone with God, because you know what? Whether you're single or you're married, the only fulfillment is going to be in your alone time with God. When you discover what it is to have a, a relationship with God that doesn't need anything else, you can have other things in it, but those things don't complete you. God completes you. When you get married under the myth that somebody else needs to complete you, then guess what that says? That says every single person is every single person in the world today is doomed to unhappiness until they meet Mr. Right. My wife thought she married Mr. Right when she married me. She just didn't know my first name was always. (laughs) Some of you going to get that later. All right. Okay. Um. You got to enjoy you time. You got to like at the end of the night, whether you're married or single, you're going to bed with yourself. The person next to you is going to fall asleep and you it's you and you. And God, and you got to start liking you and you got to start liking being alone and stop thinking there's something wrong with you for wanting to be alone, something wrong with you for wanting to spend time by yourself, something wrong with you. No, there's nothing wrong with that. You're a good person. You're a fun person. If you just started learning, you're fun, you're good, you're happy. If you just start loving yourself, you're going to find yourself such a benefit and blessing to other people. The Bible says in verse six of Hebrews 13, take comfort and be encouraged and confidently and boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be seized with alarm. I will not fear or dread or be terrified. What can man do to me? What can man do to me? See, we got to stop putting our trust in people. Enjoy your family is the next point I want to make. Enjoy your family. How? By recognizing they are a little bit or they are a lot dysfunctional. (laughs) And have fun with the dysfunction of your family make fun of it rather than being ashamed of it. This is see, some of us, we're not living by the promise. See, I'm living by the promise of Acts 1632. When it comes to my family, you and your whole household will be saved. So when you believe that promise, you can start enjoying your family, even while your family is somewhat dysfunctional. And you need to have you need to be self-deprecating enough and humble enough to say, you know what? My family is dysfunctional, but I'm the dis in the function. I bring I I brought the dis to the function. That's what makes it dysfunctional. In other words, be willing to admit, you know what? I'm part to blame. I'm I'm part of the cause of the dysfunction and stop 
like stop thinking your family is the only one's messed up, that your family's the only one screwed up, your family's the only one that's got weird stuff going on. Everybody is weird in some ways. Everybody's dysfunctional in some way. We got to be able to function with our dysfunction as God is healing it. Stop taking it so seriously. We got to stop taking ourselves so seriously. You can't enjoy yourself. You can't enjoy your relationship with God when it's so serious, so militant. You, the, the, this is not the army of the Lord. This is the family of God. The army that fights for us are angels. We're not the army. We put on the armor because there are spiritual things and emotional things that try to attack our minds and our heart. But we are not. We're not militant. We can't. We've got to stop being militant in our relationship with God and militant in our relationship with one another and militant. We got to enjoy our family. We have to enjoy our relationship with people. How? You notice I've given you a how to each one of these. How do you start enjoying your relationship with people by limiting what you expect from them? And start seeing them as people to enjoy rather than as people to fix. You have to start seeing people as gifts from God to enjoy, not people that you have to fix. Philippians 1, 3 says, Paul said, I thank my God every time I think of you guys about the Philippians. He said, I thank God every time I think about you. I thank God. Shift your perspective about people. Stop seeing people as as problems in your life to solve, but see them as people to enjoy. Number five or whatever we're on. You got to enjoy your church. You got to start enjoying your church. How can we start enjoying our church? We can start enjoying our church when we pray for it. We can start enjoying our church when we contribute to it. We can start enjoying our church when we realize we're bringing something to the celebration. I'm bringing two hands to lift. I'm bringing my tithe to give. I'm bringing my heart to worship. I'm bringing my smile to offer to others. I'm bringing my arms to hug. I'm bringing my hands to work and serve in the in the nursery or wherever. I'm bringing myself to add something to make this church a place where we can celebrate all the time, where everybody feels celebrated and everybody's being celebrated and everybody's a part of the celebration. That's what that's how we're going to start enjoying the church. Stop picking on the church. Well, how come we don't have this and how come we don't sing this song anymore? How come we don't have this person where this person and go, hey, people are going to betray us. People are going to hurt us. People are going to leave. But you know what? You know what? We got to stop taking things so seriously and taking everything personal and start making the church a place where love is king, a place where happiness and love and joy are in the house of God. And the way we do it is by bringing it like you bring it. You want to make the church a place where you can enjoy. Bring the happy. Bring the smile, bring the peace. And if you're struggling, ask for prayer. If anyone is suffering, pray. If anyone needs the elders to come and anoint you with oil, you let us know. But everybody needs to come either to bring joy or to ask for some help with their joy. Bring it or ask for some help and say, look, I'm a sourpuss. Could somebody lay hands on me and give me a different face? I got a text this morning. I'll read this to you and then we'll give. I got a text this morning um, from a friend of mine. I'll just read it to you. It's like early in the morning, 6 a.m. I wish I was with you today. He doesn't go to church here, but he's a good friend of mine. He's an entertainer. He's in the entertainment industry. Um, God didn't put us here to worry. He did not put us here to fret. He put us here to love one another and to get out and have a good time. Let my people go, go, go. 
I don't believe in slavery, but in victory. I don't believe in mope faced Christians, faces that look like they're smelling little turds, sour, (laughs) sour faced onion heads. I'm just reading what my friend wrote. We were redeemed and forgiven through his sacrifice on the cross. By his stripes, we are healed. Me and my house are covered by the blood of Jesus. Thankful for the grace of God, knowing that we have the victory because we've read the last chapter, the last glorious book of the Bible. I'm not tired of winning. I'm not tired of victory. We tread on devil's heads. We stomp them. I'm afraid or wearied by defeated, downtrodden Christians. When will they know we won and we win? I got the joy, joy, joy of Jesus down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. And then he says, can I get an amen? And then he says, I sound like you today. (laughs) And I said to him, wow, you just in one text summarized the whole gospel in one text message. It's time for Christians to enjoy. God, enjoy yourself, enjoy your family, enjoy your relationship with people. Enjoy your church. The Bible says in Ephesians 519, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making music in your heart. You know, the person who's making music in their heart can't stay bitter. The person who's making music in their heart can't stay offended. The person making music in their heart can't remain a, a rejected person and a negative person. Make music in your heart, it says to the Lord in your hearts. And that's how we're going to be the community. The power center of the earth is the church where we enjoy one another, where we admit we're flawed people, but we can still enjoy one another. We can admit we blow it sometimes, but we can still cover one another. Love covers a multitude of sins. It doesn't expose sin. It covers. The power of agreement is in the house of God. It's being plugged in. It's being connected. The community is where the miracles happen. The good news is where we're the good news is what's shared and the good news is what touches our heart and the good news is what we share with others. Enjoy your church. Enjoy it. It's a beautiful place because it's made up of beautifully perfect, happy, imperfect people, perfectly imperfect people. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. If this message has blessed you in any way, we'd love for you to share it with your family, your friends or anyone that you think would enjoy these amazing teachings. And also make sure to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already so you never miss an episode.